Uh, good morning, friends. My name is Christian Kuhn, and I am the pastor here of this community. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I also want to welcome our online folks, too. Uh, it's great to have you here with us today, uh, no matter where you are coming from, whether you are here in kind of rainy, cloudy Chicago area or you are somewhere where it is sunny. Uh, so it's nice to have you all here with us today. Uh, I'm going to read the scripture today, and this comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. I'm really grateful for uh, Hannah sharing that story with us today as we start this sermon series on parables and finding ways that we can uh, compare things to one another to have a deeper meaning. Um, I was uh, on a Zoom call not too long ago uh, with uh, a friend, and actually, Tony, can we turn me down a bit? It, it sounds a little bit echoey. Um, and so I was talking to this person on the Zoom, and at some point, uh, he said to me, you've got a lot of stuff in your background. Uh, and I don't know about you, if you're ever on a Zoom uh, call, some people will have a, a, a screenshot of sorts so that you cannot see at all what is behind them. Some people, there's a, something on Zoom where you can uh, make it all blurry, so you still can't really see what's behind you. Some people are intentional about making sure they're sitting where you can see behind them, but there's really not anything, there's not something too descript about it. And then others just kind of set up shop and then whatever is behind them is behind them. And that's where I fall. That's the category that I fall in. And I, I'd like to think that I'm not a huge saver or collector, but I do like to keep things from time to time, little knickknacks and things. Do people, some people, if you had to put yourself in one of those categories, are you one who kind of likes to save things? Yeah? And are there those who just like, Throw it away. Yep, Hillary is uh, maybe all alone in that. So <laughs> we, need, uh, we need all of those. So I do, when I thought about it this week, when this person kind of said that to me, I started looking around my office at all the things, and I kind of said, you know, he's kind of right. I, I have a small little office uh, in our part of our, our townhome, and I've kind of kept things over the years that remind me of certain things. So as I looked uh, around myself, uh, there are some bobbleheads, uh, over my left shoulder, uh, right behind me, there are various kinds of baseballs and momentums from uh, mementos from trips that I've taken. Uh, there's a little bulletin board, and I tack cards, like nice cards that people have sent me over the years. I think I've shown before the wall that I have lots of crosses that I have accumulated over the years as well. And then as I look above me, there's this ledge, and I've got all kinds of things on that ledge as well. Somebody had given me this piece of art with the Lord's Supper, and on this sculpture, I've kind of put little things here and there. And I was taking all this in, and then I saw two things uh, on this ledge uh, that um, I think hopefully are somewhat applicable to this sermon series that we're talking about parables today. So, and if you could show this uh, picture. So this is part of that ledge that I have. The blocks on the left, um, I only uh, received like a couple of years ago. See, these were not blocks that I played with. These are not blocks that I even knew existed. 
until a couple of years ago, but my grandfather passed away, and my dad, is that my dad and his siblings are going through all of my grandfather's things, they came across these blocks, and these blocks were things that my grandfather played with when he was a boy. I didn't even, like I said, I didn't know they existed. They have no sentimental value for me at all. Uh, but I have kept them. My dad asked me if I wanted them, and I've kept them, and I put them on there because to me, they are a reminder of something deeper. My grandfather could be a somewhat stern man in his life, but this is a reminder too that I also know he had a playful side. And so I keep these blocks in front of me to remind myself to keep that playful side. At times, I know for those going back to Zoom calls, people have been on a Zoom call with me and my facial expressions are not always the best in the world. Uh, if I'm deep in thought, I have a serious look on my face. So these blocks hopefully are a reminder like, chill out, be playful, it's okay. The other little thing too is, uh, anybody play with Weeble Wobbles at all as kids? And so I went to this event uh, several years ago at City Hall in Chicago, it was a justice event, and they handed out these little Weeble Wobbles. So again, this is not something I played with as a child, but they handed them out because they said, no matter what happens, we are not going to fall down in this fight for justice. And so I've kept that as well for a reminder for me to be resilient. So to be playful, and be resilient. These items, these things, this stuff, even though I've got all of these things around me, I've kept them because they remind me of a deeper meaning. They remind me in a sense of who I want to be and hopefully at times who I am. And when I think about this sermon series that we're starting today about parables, perhaps there's a connection too in the way that Jesus would take so many different things of his life. Jesus told dozens and dozens and dozens of parables and he would take the things of everyday life and say, I've got this thing, it's like this other thing. And he was so committed to try to ingrain that so that people would get a sense of what he was trying to say and who he was trying to convey it to as well. So as I noted, we're starting this sermon series about parables uh, today. And for the next uh, few weeks, we'll be looking at particular parables and how they connect. So it might be helpful first to just talk about what parable means. Uh, parable is, uh, comes from the Greek word, uh, the Greek word for uh, uh, parabole, or I even phonetically, it's parabole, actually. And this is from the Greek, so we know our New Testament from uh, the Greek, and it's translated. And par par parabole really means comparison. So putting a one thing beside another to make a point. And so this is what parable means. And so Jesus sometimes used parables that were too long, long. Sometimes he told stories. We know like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. But sometimes these were very short parables as well. So there's an Episcopal a priest and scholar named Robert Farrar Capon. And he wrote a few books about parables uh, several years ago. And Capon said this uh, about uh, Jesus, talking about parables. We have a quote here. Jesus spoke in strange, bizarre, disturbing ways. He balked at almost no comparison, however irreverent or unrefined. Apparently, he found nothing odd about holding up as a mirror to God's ways, a mixed bag of questionable characters, an unjust judge, a savvy king, an unfair employer. Jesus thought in parables, acted in parables, and regularly insisted that what he was proclaiming could not be set forth in any way other than in parables. So Jesus would take stuff, things, 
as a way to try to convey a truth about what the kingdom of God was like. What does it mean to live in God's reign? Who is in and who is out? What does it mean to be encompassed in all of this? Jesus, I don't know if he ever, how intentionally was, like if he brought with him, I'm bringing with me some mustard seeds today because I'm going to talk, or if he just like grabbed for whatever was near. Like the kingdom of God is like, is like this mustard seed. The kingdom of God, I heard a story one time, the kingdom of God is this other thing. I think Jesus did this so that people would have in their minds, this is what it means to live in God's presence. And I think he wanted them too to climb in, in a sense, to these parables and explore it, get a sense of what does this mean? How can I get a sense of what living in God's presence and God's radical love means? And so Jesus used everyday stuff, things, in order to make this point. And I think this also speaks greatly, too, about the incarnation, in a sense. For Christians, we believe God wanted to convey to us how much God loved us. So I wanted to show you. Here's stuff of the earth so you know what it means to live in my presence. Here, human flesh, is how I want you to live in Jesus. And Jesus continued that by taking everyday things so that they would get a sense, it would be ingrained, they'd explore these parables, these comparisons, so they too would know what it means to be loved by and to live in God's presence. So let's take a look at today's parable that we just heard about salt and light. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, you are the light of the world, these could have many different meanings, of course. So when Jesus says, you are salt, for those people who are listening to it, it could have meant any number of things. Because we read in the Hebrew scriptures, it could mean sacrifice. We read about that in Leviticus and Ezekiel, salt. Salt could mean loyalty. We read about that in Ezra and the book of Numbers. Salt could mean purification. We read about that in 2 Kings. And it could also just mean seasoning in the book of Job. Salt is compared to this as well. So there are lots of different ways to enter this when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. But one interesting thing that Jesus does when he says, you are salt and you are light, and there are, again, lots of different ways to see this and interpret it, and the way I'm going to convey it may not be how you see it today. But one thing I noticed as I was reading this passage this week is that Jesus does not say, you have salt, or that you have light. Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. It's part of your essence. It's part of who you are. So if we can get to the point where we accept that, hopefully even embrace it, then the next question is, all right, what kind of salt am I going to be? What kind of light am I going to be? If that's part of who I am, if that's who God has created me to be, this salt and this light, what kind of salt and light will I be? A quick internet search this week, I typed in, how many different kinds of salt are there? And I saw things anywhere from like 6 to 18, and maybe there are even more than that as you rattle off in your own minds. I found one website. Here are 12 different kinds of salt. There's kosher salt, table salt, fleur de sel, sea salt, Celtic sea salt, flake salt, pink salt, black salt, red salt, black lava salt, brining salt, and flavored salts. So many salts. When we hear first here, when you hear that you are the salt of the earth, you might have think like I did. I just think of a little salt shaker on my table thinking, all right, well, that's the salt I have to be. Forgetting there are so many different kinds of salts. 
And it's the same way, too, when Jesus says, you are the light. It is not just one kind of light. Again, when you think about or heard this for the first time, you might have thought a particular kind of light. You might have thought of a candle or a flashlight. I've got to be that kind of light. But, of course, we know there's so many different ways, different kinds of light in the world that we can be. You are God's light. So what kind of light will you be that is true to who you are? Several, about a month ago, my family went up to uh, Michigan. I think I've talked before about our trips uh, to this small town on the western coast of Michigan called Pentwater. And we have been going for many, many years. Often we go over the 4th of July weekend. Uh, my wife's uh, aunt and uncle have owned this really beautiful home for many years. And so it's become a tradition uh, in our family to go there. We went this year initially thinking this, uh, we had mixed feelings about going. We always really looked forward to it. But uh, Anne's uncle passed away last year, and her aunt has uh, decided that she's going to uh, put the house on the market, so is going to sell the house. So we thought when we went, this is it. This is our last time at the home. I don't know if you have a special, like, holy place that you go to that just has deep meaning for you, and this place is that for us. So we went looking forward to it, but also just thinking, this is it. And so we had lots of emotions uh, when we were there for this particular trip. But one thing that we like to do on the night of the 4th of July is to go down on the beach and to watch the fireworks. And so uh, as we made our way down there, what struck me as we were uh, watching the fireworks go off in the distance, different kinds of fireworks, and as I was sitting there, I was struck by all of the different kinds of light that were surrounding us there in the darkness. Now, I want to take a quick little side trip to talk about darkness, too. Sometimes in the scriptures, when they, we read about dark and light, and people immediately think good and bad. And when we hear that, we may subconsciously then think to ourselves, okay, all dark is bad. And I'm here to say that there are some really beautiful, lovely things that we see from dark, dark chocolate, dark coffee, the dark soil that where things grow out of, the dark skin, perhaps, of a loved one or a friend, so there's beautiful things. And it is in the darkness, of course, that allows us to see really beautiful light. And this beautiful darkness surrounded us. And we saw different kinds of light in the mist. We made a fire there on the beach. And it was so beautiful to kind of watch that and to see the faces of others as they shone with this fire. And so as you think about what kind of light am I, Maybe you are like the light of a fire, warming those around you. And then, of course, because it was the 4th of July, we got out some sparklers. And so any fans of sparklers on the 4th of July, I think we have a photo of this, uh, too. Uh, I didn't ask Caroline if I could use this, so she doesn't know, but uh, I think it's OK. Uh, so sparklers, of course, are so much fun. You can write your name in it do this, and you run around with it. It's just see the joy that people had with these sparklers and the way that it reflects in this way. And of course, they go out quickly, but you can just light another one. Maybe you are that kind of light, a sparkler, that kind of light that brings joy to others. 
And then when the fire started to die down, still waiting for the fireworks to go off, we looked up in the sky. When you live in Chicago, that's one of the downsides of living here is you can't really see the stars. Certainly for us who live in you know, the city and the, uh, ring, the closer ring of suburbs, it's so hard to see. But that night along the lake, we looked up and oh, it was glorious. But tiny little, from what we could see, of course, these tiny little pinpricks of light. And yet we could see sometimes they would coalesce making these different shapes. Maybe that is you, even though you light might be so small, and yet when you gather together with other small lights, you begin to show and glorify who God is. And then when we started to make our way back up, we have to climb up a lot of stairs on the dunes to make it up to the house. And of course, as we did, it's really dark at this point, and so we all get out our trusty phones and we turn on our little, tiny little lights. And thank God for that tiny little light or we'd be stubbing our toes and who knows what else. And that little light on our phones made the way for us, showed us the way home. Maybe you are that kind of light, a guide for somebody else. Even though it might not be a huge spotlight, it's just a tiny little light on your phone, and yet that will be enough for you to help guide someone else. Friends, for those of us who have a sense of who we are in God's eyes, you are light. You are light. What kind of light will you be? How will you give glory to God? How will others see the goodness in you, which is what Jesus says, so that you can be that salt and that light as well? What kind of light will you be? Back in President Biden's inauguration, uh, the person who stole the show, of course, was Amanda Gorman, the poet who recited the poem, The Hill We Climb. And the last very part of that poem, she said this, when day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. And she ended by saying, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it, if only we are brave enough to be that light. If only we are brave enough, brave enough, brave enough to be the light that you are. There's so many different ways to be light. I pray that you have that courage and that bravery to be the kind of light so that people know God's goodness and God's glory. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for story. We give you thanks for comparison. We thank you that you take the stuff of earth and lift it up so that we can know you more deeply. We thank you for salt. We thank you for light. We thank you for all the things that surround us, that remind us of your goodness. But help us to take seriously Jesus' words for us to be light and salt. And then help us to reflect, think, and pray about the kind of salt and light you want us to be, all that others would know you. We give you thanks for this way of speaking to us and sharing who you are.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.